My name is Ryan Miner. I am your host of a Minor Detail Radio podcast, where the minor details of every story matter. Each week, I talk to Maryland newsmakers, from elected officials, journalists, political candidates, to policy wonks and everyday Marylanders. A Minor Detail podcast is the fusion between Maryland news and politics. Real people, real stories, honest conversation. You can also follow us on the web at aminordetail.com. Sit back, relax, and have fun. Good evening. My name is Ryan Miner. Welcome to a Minor Detail Podcast. You're listening live on Tuesday evening, November the 27th. And tonight I will be talking with a guy by the name of Williams. He's in Hag- he's a Hagerstown NRA as well as a gentleman. Remember Bill Williams? He was the gentleman who back in August was out walking his dog and was I'll let Bill tell the story. One hell of a story. And so hold on for the next hour. Bill is on the line now. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You've had quite a year. Quite the, uh, a couple, the last couple of months, I should say. And so let's start from the very beginning. And I'm going to take you back to the night that you were out. You were walking your dog and you, from the city of Edmonton. You lived there, born and, born and raised, I believe. And uh, yes, sir. let's go back to that night in August. It was a late night in August, and you were out and about. Well, it was actually, it was actually, the, um, it was actually early in the morning. Uh, we were just um, – I actually got up and was getting ready to leave to go to um, Baltimore because I do fugitive recovery for – other bail bonding companies in Baltimore. So I'd come in and like I usually do before I go on a recovery, I had verified two of the warrants for the individual I was going to pick up that day because I had two of my other guys meeting me at my house at 7 a.m. in the morning. So mm-hmm. I took my canine dog out before we left because it's about an hour and a half trip to Baltimore. So I go out my house down at the end of the block you know, I live right in the middle of the block, so roughly, what, 200 feet away from my house to the corner. I see a gentleman. He looks seems to be looking in two cars on the right-hand side of the street. He crosses the street, looks in two cars on the left-hand side of the street, and then when he turns to come back across the street, I noticed what was probably approximately about an 18-inch knife in his right hand. So I asked him what he was doing with the, with the knife, he turns at me and raises the knife above his waist and says some racial comments to me and tells me to mind my business. So I grab a hold of my canine dog and tell him if he doesn't stop and drop the knife that I'm going to turn my dog loose. After two mm-hmm. two commands of telling him that, he still didn't stop. So he was already within 10 to 15 feet, and that's when I drew my firearm and told him that he was either going to stop or I was going to stop him. Wow. Okay, so a couple of questions I have for you. Number one, since you are a bail bondsman, you apply 
legally, of course, with the state of Maryland for a concealed weapons permit, meaning you can carry a firearm on your side. And we all know that Maryland has some pretty stringent gun laws, so I'm sure that to go through lots of paperwork, get what you needed to protect yourself, especially as a bail bondsman, and that's not an easy job. I can imagine that's probably you, you probably run into people all the time where you need to protect yourself and you got a concealed permit. How long have you had your permit for, Bill? Uh, since uh, 2000. Since 2000. And yes. is it something that you have to apply for each year, every five years? How does that work? Uh, it's every three years now. At first it started out as every two years, but now Maryland changed it in 2013 to every three years. Okay. And I guess the basic uh, application process is that you have to undergo criminal background. They check you out and changes, of course, that will be flagged. Um, and in addition to being a bailed bondsman and carrying you're also, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're also a certified firearms instructor with the NRA. Is that correct? Yes, with the NRA, and I'm also a Maryland qualified handgun instructor. I teach Maryland's um, HQL classes and their concealed carry classes because Maryland now requires, since 2013, a 16-hour course for anybody that's willing or wanting to obtain their concealed carry permit. Mm-hmm. And with that, you come into contact with responsible gun owners, people who generally have a need to protect themselves and to still carry, and mm-hmm. lawful, abiding, responsible gun owners who are respectful of uh, the firearm, and, and as well as champion the, the. I believe, as a as a red blooded American. That your God-given right to to protect oneself, and that the Second Amendment um, means what it says shall not be infringed. And you know, we're not. I, I don't want to use this conversation to talk about gun policy. I'm sure we both can. We have an opinion, and we believe change and and not. But I'm, the the point that I'm trying to make is, is that one who has knowledge of how to use a firearm, moreover. You probably interact with lots of members of law enforcement, right? Yes, I've dealt with um, law enforcement officers. I've been all over the country, you know, tracking fugitives uh, for several different companies, um, including myself. If we have somebody that doesn't show up to court, then we track that person and bring them back from wherever we may be. Um, I've worked very closely with um, Hagerstown City Police, the Washington County Sheriff's Department, uh, Maryland State Police. Um, I've worked with um, Street Crime Unit, their Narcotics Task Force, um, you know, all their, and the Warrant Squad especially, you know, dealing with those guys over the past 20 years. Never thought in a million years I'd have any any obstacles with the police department or anybody, especially in Washington County where I've done most of my work at. Bill, when you were face to face with the man who was carrying a knife, and you said he was in the car windows, 
was your first thought? Did you think that he was trying to rob someone? I mean, it's not common for someone to be carrying a knife, let alone an 18-inch knife, and be peering into the windows of a vehicle. What what were you thinking? What was going through your head at that time? Well, I mean, like I said, when when I, we've had a lot of crime. I live in the west end of Hagerstown. We've had a lot of crime up here in the west end of Hagerstown. Um, you know, I'm also the president of our neighborhood's first group here in the west end of Hagerstown. So mm-hmm. if we see crime or anything that's happening, you know, like I said, I mean, we've always called and either talked to the street crime unit or dealt with somebody and reported the crime or actually helped them, you know, detain the person until police department shows up. So, like I said, when this guy, when I saw him looking in the cars, I thought at first that it was, okay, this guy's just peeking in the cars, trying to see if something's available for him to grab and take off with until he actually turned and I saw the knife in his hand. And then I realized, well, this is something totally different. So then I questioned him what he was doing with the knife, and that's when he raised the knife. And just the look in his eye, um, you know, you can just tell that this guy was not in his right state of mind. He just had that crazy look where he just didn't care. Did you think at that time, okay, well, I have an option. I can, I can simply avoid this altogether. I can walk away. I can call the police. I can engage. Did any of those other options? Well, actually, actually, I really didn't have, I really didn't have the option of walking away because when he turned, apparently, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but apparently he had parked his car somewhere behind where I was. I don't know exactly where, but when he turned and I guess he saw me, and I asked him what he was doing with the knife. He started walking at me with the with the knife raised. So therefore, the avenue of me fleeing was definitely not an option. And I, I usually walk my canine dog. I walk her off leash because she listens very well to me. I have a probably about a hundred and thirty pound Rottweiler. And you know, yeah, I, I was walking dog. her, and of course, her her first instinct when she sees something like that is she's going to come between me and the threat. So mm-hmm. I grabbed a hold of her by her collar because I knew what she was going to do. And after I commanded him twice to stop, and both times I got the same response, I got, um, you know, racial remarks and telling me to mind my business, you know, and it didn't, and I, I raised my voice both times to a point to where I knew exactly that he heard me. And, I mean, just a blank stare in his face, and you, you look in the eyes, and there was, like, nothing there. And you said something that kind of attention. You said racial remarks. You're a white guy. The yes. other gentleman whom you approach is African-American, correct? Yes, yes. He, you're saying that he, he talked to you and shouted some – used some racial language. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's – and the whole situation, I can imagine, was probably intense. And you made the decision, and these decisions happen very quickly. And you made the decision to draw your firearm. And so as soon as you draw your, drew your firearm, 
You pointed at him, and what was his reaction? What did he do next? My point, when I drew the firearm, I told him that this was his last chance. He either had to stop or I was going to stop him. And that's when he, he – um, thankfully, he did stop, and I commanded him to drop the knife. He yep. dropped the knife on the ground. At that time, I pulled out my phone. I dialed 911. I had 911 operator on the phone. I told her who I was. I had a gentleman at gunpoint, and they needed to have the police department there. Well, he started screaming. You know, he was there looking for his girlfriend who had been there with another guy. So I'm thinking, okay, this is definitely a bigger situation than I thought. So, you know, I tell the operator, she hears me on the, here's this guy on the phone saying all this stuff. So I walked over to the gentleman because I had him back up away from the knife and get down on the ground. I walk over, I pulled my handcuffs out, and I threw the handcuffs on him, put his hands behind his back and handcuffed him. And, you know, that's when he started out with more racial remarks. And I told the operator, I said, look, you need to step him up and get him here quicker because I didn't know what this guy was going to try to do. Even though he was handcuffed, you know, you never know what somebody's going to do or how they're going to act. Sure. Did you tell the man you were not law enforcement, or did he assume that you were law enforcement and then you informed him that you were not? I never, I never once said anything to him. He, he, he just kept screaming loudly. He kept calling yeah. for his girlfriend's name, you know, saying, you know, calling me everything but a man. You know, I was <laughs> all kind of racial remarks and everything else. And the only reason I was doing it was because he was black. And I said, no. I said, you're in handcuffs because you come at me with a big knife. I said, bottom line. And the line, reason why you you care. Of course, that's part of your job as a bail bondsman. You've had to cuff some people before. So it wouldn't be abnormal for you to be carrying handcuffs. Most, you know, most citizens um, are not carrying a pair of handcuffs with them, but you use Yes, I carry. I mean, anytime I'm going out on a recovery, uh, trying to pick up a fugitive, I have, you know, handcuffs, my firearm. I usually carry, you know, spare ma- spare magazines on my on my belt. Uh, and that, that's before, you know, like we was getting ready to travel to Baltimore. I had already had my bulletproof vest, my plate carrier, and everything else in the vehicle because, like I stated, I mean, I had two other guys meeting me here at 7 o'clock. This happened about quarter seven in the morning. So this is definitely something that I was not expecting to happen that close to my house. Have you in the past in your line of work, have you ever had someone draw a gun on you? Have you had anybody towards you before? And have you been endangered by what you were trying to ascertain? I mean, I've, you know... Being in the bail bond business, we can actually we actually can watch a residence or a house. Usually, we have a fugitive that tries to hide from us inside of a residence. Um, I've never actually had anybody pull a firearm on me um, or come at me in a in a way that this gentleman did. I mean, we've trained for it many a times, but I've never actually had somebody actually physically come at me in the in the way that this guy did. Um, 
you know, that, 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 that was the first time I've ever had somebody actually physically come at me. Now I've been, I've been around police departments many a times, you know, searching residences, helping them search woods, do all kinds of stuff, looking for people that are wanted, but never had, never had an instance where anybody's actually pulled a firearm or come at me with a knife. No, that's just, that was the first time. Okay. So the police officer, town police department, how many, do you remember how many police officers arrived at the scene shortly after you contacted, um, There was roughly probably seven to nine officers there. Uh, They we had we had units coming from all over. They come from all four directions. They saw the man in handcuffs. Of course, the officers took a statement from you. They questioned you. Did they? Did the officers demand to see sealed carry permit? Yes, they asked to see my permit. I showed them the permit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they took the permit, read it, did whatever. When they first got there, they took the suspect and put him in the back of the police cruiser. Of course, the police department, they picked up the huge knife that the guy had in his possession. Like I said, they stuck the gentleman in the back of the cruiser. I talked to the officer. I'm going to say we was there for at least 20, 20, 30 minutes. Because mm-hmm. I had my guys, they they was up in my house. They saw all the cops, so they come down and was wondering what was going on. And they were already in their full tactical gear when they come down to the intersection. Because, like I say, I lived 200 feet away from where this happened. So they had already come down and asked what was going on. I'm explaining to them, you know, we're all standing there. And then, like I say, you know, probably like 20 minutes after the police got there, one of the officers and wanted me to walk up to my house with him. So I'm like, he's like, walk up here. He said, I want to talk to you. So I walked up, and I knew that was strange from the get-go. That just doesn't happen. They don't leave the scene and want to walk up to your house for no reason. So we walk up to the house. He tells me, you know, can you clear your firearm? I need to check the serial numbers on your firearm. I'm like, no problem. I don't have nothing to hide. Everything's legal with my firearm. So, you know, he had mentioned to me, well, next time, maybe you should just get a description and walk away. I said, have you ever had anybody come at you with a huge knife and make the remarks that this guy made? I said, yeah, there was there was no getting away. I'm 47 years old. This guy, I come, I knew he was young, but I come to find out that he had just turned 18 years old like a month prior. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to outrun this guy. There's no way I'm going to outrun him. And I have the aspect of the dog. I had two choices when this happened. One was to cut the dog loose, which is what she's trained for. But with the size of knife that he had and uh, I believed his mental state, I knew he was going to start cutting my dog, and then I wouldn't have had a choice but to shoot him. So I took the second option, which was to try to draw my firearm to stop the threat from coming at me, and by the grace of God, it worked. Well... So after because you were the next speaking step, with the, the next officer, step was deadly force. I mean, I'm sure that anybody who is in your position, look, if I if I were in that position, that decision, uh, there is no way I want to shoot somebody, Bill. 
very yeah, I've been last in the, I've measure. been in the bail bond business for 20 years, hunting fugitives, tracking fugitives. I mean, I've, anytime I search a house, I have my firearm out. Never come that close to shooting someone. Never come that close. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've hoped and prayed that I never have to shoot anybody in my life. But if it comes I'm sure down the to same a situation thing. of myself or somebody else because they're coming at me and to neutralize that threat, I'm not going to have a choice but to shoot somebody. All right. Then after a the man, uh, the sub, they placed him in back in, in the back of the police car. I'm sure they talked to them. Something interesting happened subsequently, and that what happened there? Well, when I say when the officer walked me up to the to the house, you know, I walked in my house. He wanted me to walk in the house clear my firearm. I guess he didn't want people outside to see that, you know, I had a gun and I had bullets and all this stuff in it. And I, so I walked in the house, cleared my firearm. He took down the serial number. We walk outside and then I notice the gentleman out of the back of the cruiser and is taking the handcuffs off of him. So I asked the officer, I said, why are they letting him go? And he told me he did not know that he would have to go down and find out. So I'm standing on my porch. My wife's standing on my porch. My kids are all outside. We have dozens of neighbors outside because of all the lights and sirens. So we're all standing there. What's going on? My two guys that are with me, I'm explaining to them what's going on because they was down at the corner. And they come up to the house. I'm explaining to them what all happened. So they're asking the same thing. Well, why are they letting this guy go? I said, I have no idea. So I'm standing there waiting for the cops to come back up and talk to me. Well, he never come back up. I see some of the cop cars pulling out. Well, the gentleman was standing down at the corner looking up at my house, the one that came at me with a knife. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. So we're standing there, and all of a sudden there's a female that comes out that had a gray hood up over her head. And we're standing there, and all of a sudden you hear the loud voices start escalating. And next thing you know, she just flies into one of the cars and I really didn't clearly see him push her, but there was other people there that stated that he shoved her into the car. Well, we saw the cops come across the street and tell him that he could not do that there. He needed to take it someplace else. And I'm like, man, this just did not happen. So they left the guy get in his car with this girl and drive away. You had your excitement day. You you go off work, and then something interesting happened, and you received a mail, and the summons said that you were being charged with a single count of handgun person. I'm quoting. That's a misdemeanor in the state of Maryland that carries a maximum sentence of three years in prison and or a $2,500 fine. When you received what went through your mind? I, I couldn't believe it. When my wife opened the mail and told me that, I mean, I could not believe it because what had happened was the day all this happened, uh, our police chief here, I know him, I grew up with him. Um, That's I had tried to make a phone call, Paul Kiefer. I had tried to make a phone call to him to find out why they did not charge this guy. You know, I'm like, why was this guy let go? You know, because this is an issue we've been having 
in Hagerstown, you know, a lot of the residents in the West End having the same issues, you know, with, you know, crimes happening, no charges being filed. So I try to get a hold of Paul Kuyper to find out what's going on. I mean, I know he's busy. Mm -hmm. He's got stuff going on. I made a phone call, left a message, didn't hear anything back. I went to Baltimore. We ended up apprehending the fugitive that we was looking for. Um, We actually picked him up at a GSA secured building, the uh, Social Security Administration building in Baltimore. Uh, It was probably two hours later we got him in Baltimore. So we took him, locked Hmm. him up, come back. I tried to call Paul Kiefer again, still got no response. So I waited like a day or so, tried to call him back again. And it was roughly around like the, um, I think it was like around the 12th, uh, I sent him an email. I figured, okay, I'll send an email, see if I get any response back that way. I sent him an email, asked him if he knew about the situation, knew what was going on. He sends me an email back, says he did not know about the situation or what had happened, that he would forward it to his patrol captain. On hmm. the 17th, I get a email back from his patrol captain telling me that – Telling me that – Right. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, August 17th. This was all in August. Okay. Um, I get an email back, you know, from the patrol captain stating that um, Kiefer had asked him to look into it, so he had talked to the supervisor that was on the scene, and the supervisor had told him that he spoke with the gentleman, and he spoke with me, and we agreed that there was no threat. I sent him an email back the very same day, and I said, oh, no, you were misinformed. I said, I never spoke to your supervisor on the scene. I said, they never asked me about a threat. I said, if there was no threat, I wouldn't have pulled my firearm on somebody. So that's the last time I heard from him. That was on a Friday. Well, Monday on the 20th is when I got the summons in the, or the paper in the mail saying that I was being charged with a criminal offense in district court. So we went we went to Maryland Judiciary Case Search and looked it up, and it was for handgun mm-hmm. on person. On August 7th, when this incident happened, I said, how are they charging me with handgun on person when I have a carry permit to carry my firearm? I mean, from there, it's just the first thing I did, I was like, I don't believe this. So I tried to call Paul Kiefer again, still didn't get no response. So I had no choice but to call the Herald Mail because I figured, you know, I'm not going to stand and let this happen. So I called them and went public with it. And the police, what they had written in the documents, they said, of course, you had and showed them your permit to carry your hand legally, but your permit only allows you to carry at a certain time. When you're on duty, when you're acting in a role as a licensed bail bondsman or an agent or employee of the property bail bondsman to carry the weapon, and assuming that the summons that you at that time, when you were out walking your dog and you witnessed um, what you thought might have been unusual behavior, plus the man uh, brandishing a knife, saying that you were not acting in your official capacity, therefore that's why you were being charged with a criminal offense. Which ultimately then, Bill, 
would prevent you from doing your job because my understanding is that when you are you, you have the outstanding charge, are you able do you have to turn over your weapon? Well no, I didn't have to surrender my firearm, but um having a pending charge, I surely didn't want to be still doing the work I was doing. Going down at the time, I was going down to Baltimore pretty much every day doing fugitive recoveries for a company in Baltimore. And if I would have got in a situation in Baltimore and had to use my firearm, right. and then he'd pull up, okay, well you got a pending charge in Hagerstown for a handgun on person, then I know I was going to be detained. All kind of stuff was going to be brought up about that. But just having that charge of handgun on person, okay, that would take my my right to own a firearm away. Two, take my right to carry a firearm. Three, I would lose my bail bond license, my instructor's license, and all that would be gone. And, you know, like, the thing is, my biggest thing is, they never once asked me, okay, you know, where were you going? What were you doing? I'd have explained to them. You know, I just verified two warrants on an individual that were going to Baltimore. We were getting ready to get in a vehicle and leave. Acting in a capacity of a bail bondsman, for some reason, the state's attorney in Washington County had the misconception that my our bail bonds is you go from your residence to an appointment, from the appointment back to your residence. I said, that's not how it works. You know, me acting in the capacity of a bail bondsman, okay, for one, I can never shut off the thousands of people that I've locked up. So I'm always in an inherent risk of danger of somebody approaching me at any time. But two, you know, if somebody calls from the jail, you know, to my bail bond office, it rings to my cell phone. If I'm not in the office, it comes straight to my cell phone. So I'm still acting in the capacity of a bail bondsman. My dog goes with me on recoveries and tracks fugitives in homes and everything else. So I was still acting in a capacity of a bail bondsman after I verified the warrants because I was taking pretty much my partner with me to go and let her go to the bathroom before we left. So I don't know where they're coming up with, you know, they feel that we they wasn't that I wasn't acting in a capacity of a bail bondsman. But my biggest thing is, you know, they were worried about my capacity when this gentleman admitted to the police officers on the scene that he brought the knife with him because he knew his girlfriend was here with another man. And he was going to use the knife, the knife to scare her. This was in my charging documents. So and this the man court comes rec- with the intent of doing something with a knife, and you're worried about charging me with something that doesn't make any sense. So after the officer finished that, you went about the job. You went and filed charges against the 18-year-old who, with the knife, and who came at you with the knife. The commissioner found the probable cause, charged the man with count of first assault, 
assault with the intent to injure. It looks like they couldn't, I was reading a, a World Mail that they couldn't and then um, did they arrest him? Did they find him? And I know that he he had a trial that the 18th of October, whatever became of that? Well, from the get-go, I mean, when I found out that I had the charge, uh, like I say, I called the Herald Mail. Uh, that was on Monday. The gentleman from the Herald Mail called me back on, like, Wednesday, and he was doing a follow-up to find out if anything had changed. And I told him, I said, well, I'm trying to find out who this gentleman was because the Hagerstown City Police Department was not talking to me. He's like, well, I got the guy's name. He said I. he got it through the, you know, he's a reporter, so he was able to obtain that information through the court. I'm like, sure. well, that's fine. I said, I need to go file charges on this guy because the police department didn't and apparently are not going to. So that's when I went to the commissioner's office that day, you know, the charges, told him exactly what had happened. And then I find out, like, a day later, that they did file the they did file first degree assault, second degree assault, and deadly weapon with intent to injure. Mm-hmm. So you know it's like, and and that's the only thing I was trying to get the police department to answer me was why they did not charge this man. So I filed the charges, and you know when and still still by this point I still have not received my my official criminal summons. I had to notify uh, one of the warrant officers with HPD and say, you know, because my lawyer wanted to see the charging document because I had already contacted an attorney. He wanted to see the charging document. I said, well, I haven't got summons yet. I can't give you the charging document. I don't know what's on it. So I contacted HPD. I finally got the warrant officer to come out. I believe I got him to serve, serve me on. It was either Thursday or Friday that week. He finally came out. Gave me the, you know, the um, the summons, the criminal summons for me to appear in court, and you know, I had told him that I filed charges on him, and he said he hasn't got that paperwork yet. So, you know, I, that's when I saw everything in the charging documents and gave it to the attorney, and the attorney was actually blown away by it. He's like, I cannot believe this at all. He said this case has no merit. I said, Well, I understand that. I know that, but. You know, that's what they're trying to do. Well, let's back but up. But as far as the gentleman, as far as the gentleman, apparently after all this has ha- all this had happened, because when I filed the charges, um, when the warrants officers and the, the people to serve the summonses up here, when they went to try to serve him, apparently somehow, which I don't know how he did it, but somehow, apparently from what I'm being told, his family had already um, retained an attorney here in Hagerstown. Well, the officers had to end up serving the attorney his summons because apparently the gentleman was in a military boot camp in Texas. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you talked to a couple of people who are involved in local politics and Yes. About this process. Look, um, explain this process. 
I, I didn't quite hear what you said. You cut out there a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Ha, That's okay. Talk to Bob Brucci about what was mean in the situation with the police and did to uh, you, I, I don't know if you had an opportunity to read anyway. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to, you know, when, when all this first happened, um, I had con. I mean, I, I've, I've gotten contact with a couple different people. I mean, I spoke with um, Paul Quarterman. He was our delegate, you know, for Hagerstown. I spoke to him because, you know, like I said, I've never been through anything like this before. And I met, he actually came to our neighborhood's first meetings for like the, the, the for like the past year. Because and he showed a lot of interest in what was going on with Hagerstown, um, mm-hmm. you know, and also uh, Bernard Semler, who I found out was running for state's attorney's office at the time, right. because he also had come to our neighborhood's first meetings and showed that he had a lot of compassion. With I mean, these two were the only people, you know, Paul Quarterman, Bernard Semler. We've had uh, Mayor Brucci at our meetings a couple times couple city council members, police departments, because the rapport with the citizens and the police department is not very good in the west end of Hagerstown or in Hagerstown period because of all the things that's been going on, you know, HPD coming out, no charges being filed, which I've been trying to explain to people that, you know, that has to come down from the state level. And in talking to, you know, Paul Quarterman, showing him the paperwork that I had with the emails that was sent back and forth, the charging documents, same way with Bernard Semler, showing him the same, you know, paperwork. And they're like, yeah, this this is just ridiculous. And, you know, Paul Quarterman, he made the statement to me that he was going to get a hold of Bob Brucci and tell him, and he was going to get a hold of Paul Kiefer and say, look, you know, this this case is not going to go anywhere. What are you guys trying to do here? I mean, my charge, I didn't hear nothing from anybody, no contact from the state's attorney's office, no contact from anybody I'm sorry. until the day I went to trial. Hello? Still there? Bill, you still there? Bill? Bill, you still Hello, are you there? Yeah, yeah I'm I sorry. We have, sorry, I had an internet issue there. My my fault. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Let's pick up. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes these happen, and I, I wish we were in person, but uh, we'll we'll keep going. Um, tell me, tell me. We were right at the point of talking about Councilman Lou Metzner. Can you tell yes. me how did you get in contact with the councilman, and did he call you or did you call him? And it looks like he offered to represent you at no charge. How did that work out? Yes, I actually got a phone call. Like I said, when this went into the paper, it went into the paper like Tuesday. I got a call from his um, lady in his office, 
Kelly from his office. Um, it was like Tuesday afternoon, and she said that Lou wanted to meet with me, and she told me that she saw it in the paper and on Facebook, and she said that they just couldn't believe that this had even happened. So when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, is he wanting to talk to me in reference to, you know, on behalf of the city or or what? Because I wasn't sure at the time. So he wanted to see me the next day. So I went in and saw him on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he had asked me about, you know, the charging documents. I told him, I said, well, I said, I still haven't been served yet. So, but he told me that he wanted to represent me and he wasn't worried about money. He said, because this case should have never happened. I said, I understand that. I said, but you know, it, it did. And, you know, and I've known Lou for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, like I say, he, rep- he, he did represent me and he did a great job. Um, you know, we both, Lou's known me for a long time. And like I said, I guess, you know, credibility went a long way because he's like, I know there's, there's nothing here. So I don't even understand why the state even charged you with this. Yeah. What happened when you went into court for your court date? It looks like you went, was it October that you went in? Yeah, I think it was in October. Um, I'm not, I think it was the 18th, but, um, yeah. I went to Lou's office, like, I think it was the day before. And went up to his office because there was a discrepancy. Apparently, um, Joe Michaels with the state's attorney's office had sent an email back and forth to um, Lou and told him that he wanted me to make this ridiculous statement in court and they would drop the charge. I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm not going into court and perjure myself for any reason because his biggest discrepancy was as he said, he did not feel that I was acting in the capacity as a, as a bail bondsman at that time. I said, well, that's his opinion, but if they would have called me and asked me and, and you know asked me any questions, I could have told them that. Mm-hmm. But when I went into Lou's office, Lou said that apparently Joe Michaels and another ADA from the state's attorney's office, Mr. McCormick, was in his office the day prior wanting Lou to talk to me to try to get me to agree to drop the charges on the guy that come at me with a knife. Mm-hmm. Not about dropping my charge, not about talking anything about mine. They were worried about dropping the charges on the guy with the knife. Yeah, and you probably thought, come and I on, told him, is, I was like, this is crazy. I said, no way. I said, I'm not doing that. And I told Lou, I said, look, I said, if he wants me to make this ridiculous statement, we might as well just go ahead and take this to circuit court because I'm not doing it. Yep. And in the email he had stated, and which I find it's pretty ridiculous, there was, like I said, there was somewhere between like seven to nine officers there, apparently, because I had told Lou to subpoena the 911 footage or the 911 yeah. tape and the body cam footage. They'll right. know exactly what I said that day and what officer I spoke to because they had tried to say that I spoke with Officer Zimmer, who was, a, who was a supervisor on the scene, and I said, I never spoke to him. I said hello when he first got there, and that's as far as it went. So the email that Joe Michaels sent to Lou's office stated that all seven body cams malfunctioned. <laughs> all seven? All seven body cams had malfunctioned, and there was there was an officer that did a supplemental report that he filed on 
the 29th of August, where in that supplemental report he had stated that, now, granted, he's coming to a call where I dialed 911 and told him I had a gentleman at gunpoint who come at me with a knife. So on the way to a call that they're going lights and sirens, he stopped at headquarters, HPD headquarters, and docked his body cam before he proceeded on to the call. I'm having a hard time believing that all seven, seven body cameras mm-hmm. would have malfunctioned when body cameras are really police officers and the citizens. That's their bread and butter. That that tells yep. a lot of stories, and it that helps cases. It proves facts that things actually happened as people said they happened. And body cameras mm-hmm. are I'm I'm a huge proponent of all local police officers, any police officer having a functioning body camera. And I have requested body cam footage in Washington County from the county police and I received it in virtually no time at all. They they sent it to me for the incident that I had requested. It wasn't involving well, me, but it was I, I'm just yeah. – I am sort of dumbstruck to believe that yep. all seven – and when they told you that, Bill, did you think, come on, guys, what what's really going on here? Yeah, I mean that's what I that, – that's exactly what I thought because not only did I and in Lou Messner's office request body cam footage, but the gentleman from the newspaper also requested the body cam footage, had him access. He was told that he could not have the body cam footage because it was an active investigation. They could not release the footage to him. They didn't tell him that the body cams malfunctioned. They said that they could not release it to him because it was an active investigation. And I really find it hard to believe that seven body cams malfunctioned. Is it still an active investigation, or has the investigation been closed by Hagerstown Police? Well, my 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 charges were dropped when I went into court. Um, yeah, you know, they, my charges got dropped because they the state agreed that you know they were dropping the charges against me. Um, but as far as you know, the other guy that you know I put charges on, um, it wasn't very long after after I went to trial, he waived his preliminary hearing. So, and his lawyer waived his preliminary hearing because he wasn't here. He's in Texas. So, waived his preliminary hearing. Well, I get a phone call from another bail bonds friend of mine. He said, did you read the paper? I was like, no. He's like, well, you might want to read it. So, I went to the section A2 and read the, well, Mm -hmm. it's in there again, you know, about me and the guy that came at me with a knife. Now, granted, I filed the charges on this guy roughly around the 23rd or so of August, mm-hmm. which never received any paperwork from the state's attorney's office, never received anything from the victim's coordinator's office, nothing. I get, I go reading the reading the um, the Herald Mail, and the state's attorney has already dropped the first degree assault and the deadly weapon with intent to injure. And the only thing they forwarded to circuit court was a second-degree assault. I was never notified about anything, was never contacted, nothing on this whole incident. 
So I'm sitting here, and it was probably around the 4th or 5th of November, I get a letter in the mail from District Court of Maryland, State's Attorney's Office of Maryland. I'm thinking, okay, this is for my charges that got dropped. Nope, I opened it up. Well, it was the victim's coordinator sent me finally sent me a packet that was dated October 31st, wanting me to, you know, fill out the paperwork and send in to them as a victim. Did you did you complete the paperwork and send it back? Oh, it's yeah, it's been completed and filled in. I mean, it's just you know, and from what I'm understanding, they're supposed to do that within 30 days. Before he even goes to his preliminary or whatever, the should have already had the victim's packet, filled it out, sent everything back in. Bill, let me ask you this. After all of this has occurred, and we're now up to November the 27th, where are you with the Hagerstown Police Department? Are you going to take any legal action against them? Because I think you might have a good case. Well, I mean… I really, I really hate, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of law enforcement. You know, sure, I, I have nothing against law enforcement, and I really believe that, you know, this all stems from. I mean, I, I understand where law enforcement are coming from with not filing charges. I've heard it said many times from many officers, there's no sense in filing charges because the state's going to drop them anyway. But my thing is, you know. The criminals need to start being held accountable, and the lawmakers and the people that's doing this stuff needs to be held accountable. So, yes, I mean, we have – I have an issue right now to where I am filing, you know, on state of Maryland, state's attorney's office, and the Hagerstown City Police Department for what was done against me because I don't think it's right, you know. That should that's that kind of issue should never happen when you have a guy that comes there with the intent of doing something, he gets stopped. They worry about filing a charge on me instead of the man that was there to do damage in the first place. So you're you're gonna what if I'm hearing you correctly and if I understand what you're telling me, you're gonna file legal suit against yes. the Hagerstown Police Department. How how do you go about doing that? Do you have and I assume that well, I'm actually I'm actually a I'm actually a member of um, not only the NRA, um, which I was in contact with them. Um, I kept in touch with them the whole time through their legal and their grassroots and, lit- and litigation department. I'm right. also a member of US, I'm also a member of U.S. Law Shield, mm-hmm. uh, which What's they that? represent. You also U.S. Law Shield is it was started by a bunch of attorneys out of Texas started a legal it's like pretty much a, a liability insurance for anybody that owns firearms, um, you know, in the United States. Um, they give you – it's a $2.5 million policy. They will cover you um, criminally or civilly if you're ever involved in an altercation involving a weapon. They come out and represent you at mm-hmm. no cost to you for your membership. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Now you know when I when I first when I first went to the first um, one of my first U.S. Law Shield seminars, there was actually a representative there from U.S. Law Shield, and they brought up my case at that seminar. And the lawyer was there was a gentleman out of Baltimore, and he could not believe 
um, this case. And when I showed him the paperwork and everything else, he's like, yeah, he said, this case just stinks from the get-go. I said, yes, it does. I said, and the biggest thing is, I said, I never thought in a million years that I would ever have any issues with police departments, especially ones here in Washington County, who I've worked so close with over the last 20 years. What are you hoping to get out of the filing suit? Do you do you want them to, to rectify what you believe was a, an injustice that took place with filing the charges against you in the first place? Or, I mean, let me, I, I just, I can't understand it. How this would even get past the point where they would even consider filing, sending you a criminal summons, knowing that you are an upstanding citizen, you have a bail, you're a bail bondsman, you're, you, you have this line of work, you have a legal carry permit. How do you think it even escaped that? I mean, and did, did, and, and why the state's attorney would even let that go to fruition to, to the point of sending you a criminal summons? I can't understand that, Bill. That I just can't get. Well, I can't I wrap my told, head around it. I was approached by when all this first hit the hit the newspaper. I was approached by another bail bondsman who I had worked for prior in 1999 before I started my business in 2000. Mm-hmm. And he called me and he's like, "I can tell you exactly why this happened because apparently um, Joe Michaels, the ADA in Washington County, right." Um, was a huge advocate against bail bondsmen in Washington County. Apparently, this gentleman has cases where he was on a panel going against bail bondsmen. He actually stood up in open court, had the judge change a defendant's bail, a bail review, because he didn't think that the bail bondsmen should be able to make any money off of this case. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me that for some reason they're trying anything that involves a bail bondsman. And, you know, the bail bond industry is like every other industry. You know, radio, media, police officers, you have bad agents everywhere. Same way you have bad police officers sometimes, you have bad news people, you have bad reporters. They. They falsify stuff. They do stuff the wrong way. But not all bail bondsmen are bad. You know, our company has been me and my wife since 2000. Mm -hmm. You know, we do everything by the book, which is why we've had a great rapport with the police departments and everybody else and have had no issues with anybody. So, you know, this is something that definitely took me. And to me, it's like my name my credibility has been trampled on because I was charged with something that should have never happened when the gentleman that come at me with a knife was let go free. And that just goes to show you how twisted things are, especially here in Washington County where the criminals have more rights than the honest citizens who are trying to stop crime. Have you contacted anybody inside of the Maryland State Police or the governor's office be beyond, um, well, outside of, I guess, Paul Quarterman, who's a state legislator, but have you attempted to highlight this case any further with 
downstate in Annapolis? I've actually contacted, I've sent emails to um, Mr. Parrott. Um, never got any response back from him. Uh, really? I've sent emails. You would, yes. You would think that he would respond considering his positions, um, his public positions on the Second Amendment. This would be an issue that, not to be political, but this is something that he champions. And if somebody's Second Amendment rights are under attack, or in, in your case specifically, I would imagine that they would be jumping to assist you or at least guide you and make your life a little bit easier with bureaucracy. But I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've sent, I sent him an email. I also sent um, Mr. Frosch an email because I know he is the one in command over the state's attorney's office. Right. Um, sent him emails, never heard nothing back from him. What about Charlie Strong? This, um, Never, never attempted to to contact Mr. Strong. I've been in the bail bond business for 20 years, and I can honestly say, until this election, when he actually come out and did the, um, him and Bernie Semler was down at the um, library for their debate. Yep. I never knew what Charles Strong looked like, <laughs> and I've been in the bail bond business for 20 years, and I know he's been in office for 14, something like that. Never yeah. seen him at the courthouse. Been at the, been at the um, state's state's attorney's office many times, dropping off paperwork. Never saw him. Never saw him in the community. Never seen him around Hagerstown doing anything as far as with the people or community. So I had no idea. And in my charging documents, you know, it stated in there that the officer had contacted the state's attorney's office. The state's attorney's office told officer to charge with handgun on person. So that's why I didn't even bother contacting the state's attorney's office because I felt that it was no sense to contact them because it wasn't going to go anywhere. Sure. I can, I, I, I completely understand. Well, Bill, I mean, you've been through the ringer on this and um, I'm, I'm sorry to hear this, this, this incident to me and, you know, looking at from the lens of a journalist and somebody who is covering the issue and doing an interview, I feel like, and I feel passionate to say this, this should not have happened the way that it happened. And, and it leads me to my next question. What kind of feedback from the community did you receive? Well, the Herald Mail put a poll out when all this first happened. You know, if, you know, they feel that if the community felt that, you know, I was, right in what I was doing or I was wrong in what I did. And I think they had like what, it was like um, roughly like 10,000 people responded and mm -hmm. 97, 98% of them agreed with what I did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's, it, it's sad to say that, you know, I've had police officers from every agency talk to me and tell me that, I did nothing wrong. You know, they agree with what I did. They don't understand why I was charged, you know, and it's like, these are the people that I work with. And like I said, when, you know, when I talk to the attorney and he's like, well, if you file suits, you got to file suit on all of them because they're all involved. Ultimately, yes, HPD was the one that had to charge me because they was on the scene. 
state's attorney made the decision for HPD to charge me, which it, it all comes downhill. So you have to name everybody when you decide you're going to do something like that. Everybody has to be named in the suit, which hopefully that gives, you know, HPD their chance when it goes to court to step up and say, okay, this is why we did what we did because we were told by this person to do this. Well, Bill, do so, you? So, I mean, you know, it's just, and now, I mean, since since August, I have not been able to do recovery work. When I found out that I had, you know, the handgun on person charge, I have not been able to do a, a recovery work, which mm-hmm. has cost me and my family a lot of income, a lot of revenue. I've not been able to. My handgun permit was supposed to be renewed by October 31st, so I sent my paperwork in early August before all this happened. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting on my handgun permit to be renewed. Has it expired? Now, Maryland State Police, it's expired. I cannot no longer carry my firearm because I, my permit has expired. Been in contact with Maryland State Police. You know, they're giving me the runaround. Oh, well, they're backlogged. Uh, they want this additional paperwork. They want that additional paperwork. It's like, look, you know. I don't understand. They want my banking account information. I said, look, I'm not giving you guys my banking account information. I don't give that to anybody. And I'm especially not giving it to Maryland State Police because I know their systems get hacked all the time. Hmm. So it's not going to happen. You know, they have proof that I'm a bail bail bondsman. They have proof that I'm a bail company. My company is in good standing. That's all they need. So not only is it me or myself, but I have five other guys that are that work for me as self-employed, you know, they're self-employed, but they go with me on recoveries when I have to go out of state or when I got to go, because I can't do it all myself. If I go to apprehend a fugitive, I got to have two or two or three other people with me yeah, to sure. be able to go. And I pay them on a, you know, a per case basis. And now they can't even work. So it's, it's affecting a lot of people. And now with my permit being hung up and waiting on that, then it's even taking longer. Well, I hope, I'm so hoping like that I'm you... Still, I'm still reaping, I'm still feeling the benefits or the uh, repercussions of it and no benefits because I can't do anything. Yeah, all because of this incident and they, the state police, for whatever reason, or I guess, I don't know what... Did they give you an excuse? They're backlogged in paperwork or what? I mean, what... I was told by you? I was told by a trooper in Baltimore at Pikesville that um, he wanted more proof to prove that I was a bail bond company. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I just went through this with them three or four months ago when I got another gentleman licensed under my company to be able to carry a permit. They have proof that I'm a business. They have proof that. Um, you know, that I do business in Maryland. They have a copy of my bail bond license. And then he tells me he wants bank statements. I'm like, you're not getting my bank statements. That's not going to happen. You know, I'm not doing that. But do you, you have know, a registered... so I just don't understand. And I told him, I said, well, I said, I went one further when he, when he told me he wanted bank statements. I went one further. I said, what I did, I said, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Maryland in 2013, when they put this, 16-hour course in, it went from good and substantial reason to yeah. somebody that's in an inherent risk of danger. 
Yeah. So it's not supposed to be documented proof of any kind of crime that's been committed against you. I sent them the district court documents where I had filed charges, and the charges were placed on this guy for first-degree assault, second-degree assault, and deadly weapon with intent to injure. I get an email back. They tell me they will not accept a district court document. They want a police report. I said, well, you're not going to get a police report because the police didn't do a report on it. And and you can't show them the body camera video because they claim exactly, that... Exactly, because they malfunctioned. Do you and that's, want that, to... That's one of the biggest things that I have a hard time wrapping my head around is seven body cams malfunctioned. You know, and, and it's not only that, it's the arrogance of the Joe Michaels with the state's attorney's office when he sent the email to Kessner's office telling Lou that he wanted me to make this ridiculous statement in court and they would drop the charge against me and if I wanted to say anything else, I could say thank you. I told Lou, I was like, no, that's not going to happen. I mean, well, good. you know... I'm glad that you didn't relent. I'm glad that you did not succumb to that. I think that you stand your ground and took a stand and it is my understanding I mean, you asked me before you asked me before what what i'm trying to get out of this mm-hmm. the biggest thing i'm trying to get out of this is this needs to be heard this needs to be brought to light everybody needs to know because i know there's a lot more people out there that's been through the same similar situation that i've been through where charges were not filed you know, I know several instances already I've had people come out of the woodwork and start telling, calling me and sending me messages on Facebook about similar incidents that's happened with them. People's come at them with ball bats at AC&T, and it's on video. Cops never charged. You know, I just had an incident with a friend of mine last night. Um, his wife was sitting at home with five kids, preschool and under, has a cop walk in her house, she her knock at the door, cops cop comes straight in the house there's her dog comes to the door police officer draws the firearm on the dog tells her to get the dog or he's going to kill it one why is the officer walking in the door two you're pulling a firearm on somebody's dog inside their residence should have just shut the door there's no threat then wow but then apparently the officer threatens to said he's going to take take her kids away because there was somebody there from CPS because apparently a neighbor called and stated that they heard the child crying. So apparently CPS comes in. She she left CPS, come in, found no problem. Everything was unfounded. But then I find out today that I did a little research on it, and the call never even come out to their address. It come out four doors up. So why was they even at her house to begin with? Do you want to have a conversation or at least the opportunity to sit down with Paul Kiefer and say, Paul, we know each other. We've grown up together. Let's let's just talk man to man. And you know, it, it doesn't have to be in front of anybody. You know, we can have a cup of coffee, whatever. And I, if that were me, and if I were in your position, I, I would want to hear directly from the police chief what they were thinking and what they could do to prevent this in the future you have lost income for your family 
Mm-hmm. You were at a disadvantage now because of this incident. You had to expend your time, your effort, and this is not an easy thing to deal with. This is it's emotionally taxing, it's mentally taxing, and you had to put out a lot of time and effort. People rely on you. You have a business, and now you got this thing with the state with not renewing. They're not. It's it's you're it's backlogged, and you can't carry your weapon and your your firearm on your you know on your body. To me, it's just one bureaucratic nightmare, one government nightmare after the next. And really, this is this is not fair to you. And for me, I would want to sit down with the police chief. But at least get to the bottom of what in the hell happened with these body cameras. That would tell a real story. I don't believe that for a second, Bill, that all seven malfunction. That is just implausible to me. That seems there. I've never in my life heard that happening. All seven body cameras. Come on now. Yeah, that's me neither. I mean, I, that's why I tried to call Paul Kiefer. I'm like, look, you know, can you explain? I wanted to see if he could explain why there was no charges filed. But. I've never once been able to talk to him on this incident, and I would like to sit down with him and say, look, you know what, you know, because my biggest thing is when I started the Neighborhoods First group back in 2008 in the west end of Hagerstown, the police officers and the citizens had a real bad rapport because of everything that was going on. Now, since then, we have built that rapport back up. Incident happens, well, here within the past year or two, it's been starting to go downhill again, and then the incident happens with me. Now the citizens up here don't want anything to do with the police department. At our at one of our neighborhood's first meetings, we've had several citizens actually stand up and tell the police that they were appalled at what the police did, what, what they have done, you know, coming out, not charging people, and, you know, the crime is at an all-time high. And I've explained to him, I said, well, I said, you know, that comes from the state's attorney's office down because I don't like talking down on the police department. And, you know, and they said, well, it's it's a shame that I was going through what I was going through. And some of them said they kind of felt responsible because if anything happens in this neighborhood, I'm the first person they call instead of calling the police department. Because then I get a hold of people in the police department that can actually make something happen and try to take care of the situation and find out what's going on. So I do like, I do want to keep a good rapport with the police department. You know, I want to, I want to make sure that there's some way to keep that relationship between us because I rely on the police department for, you know, for backup if I have to go anything here in the city. And I've helped the police department out here with, you know, probably, you know, I know warrant officers, that have made, you know, hundreds of arrests because of people that we've helped them locate, we've helped them find and be able to pick up for them. So that's the way it's supposed to work is a common ground between both of us. I just, the, the situation is, it it just seems unreal to me that this would happen given your relationship with police and have you have you when when the police were on the scene with you bill were you comfortable in in the sense that were you comfortable with how they addressed you and how they spoke with you did they were they professional yes they all treated they all treated me professionally they all treated me respectfully i know 
Uh, I believe there was two or three officers on the scene. I knew. I knew them by name. They knew me by face. Um, you know, the one officer that is actually on my charging document, that actually the one that filed the charge on me, I don't know him, never heard of him, didn't even know that he was on HPD's force. You know, so I, I would think that for some reason this gentleman wouldn't have an issue with me. But like I said, I mean, I've been told by several different people that the order to charge came down from state's attorney's office to police department to me. So, I mean, you know, and that's, and that, and that's what, I guess that's what I'm grasping at is hopefully, you know, city police can get out of this because yes, we did what we were told to do. I know they can't tell us, you know, they can't tell the state's attorney's office, well, we're not going to charge them. You know, that's not what we're going to do because then, that puts them in a situation. I mean, if the state tells them you have to charge this guy with this, then they have to charge. Right. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, I mean, it's a bad situation all around, but I mean, there is a lot of people on, you know, on HPD's force that I know and I respect, and I still, you know, talk to these guys to this day. But like you said, I mean, the biggest thing is I would like to know why all this happened and unfortunately the way the way it looks the only way i'm going to figure out how all this happened is for it to come out in court where everybody has to get up and everybody has to take an oath and say look this is why we did what we did we were told by these people to charge you to do this you know but it just i mean it beyond it beyond floored me when my wife opened that mail and told me i had that charge I never thought in a million years I would ever have to worry about, you know, HPD or anybody in the state, in in the Washington County charging me with something like that. And I've, there's been many situations I've been around with HPD and everything else searching for people where I've had firearm out, I've had this out, never had this incident before. Yeah. Well, Bill, I'm sorry this has happened to you, and I think that uh, I think that hopefully this situation will resolve itself. But you have a you have an open invitation to come back here anytime to have this conversation, and I want to come up to Hagerstown sometime, and we can take a stroll through the the city's West End. I got a lot of history up there. My family, my granddaddy was born up there, and it it look the city of Hagerstown's my home. It's always going to be my home. I, I love mm-hmm. the community. I love the people. And, you know, look, you're a, you're a hardworking guy trying to make a living. And this happens, and it, it's just like, it's a hassle. I wouldn't want to deal with that. And nobody would want to put up with that. And so I feel for you, man. I, I wish that there was something else we could do. But hopefully that this, this suit, that you know, you're going to get to the bottom of some of these questions that you still have and that are outstanding – and I think it's important that they be honest with you. And I don't understand what the Hagerstown police would want to hide in the form of a body camera. I mean, so what? Whatever's on that body camera video, like I said. Yes, it know, is what it is. It is what it, it is. It is what it is. Right. You know, and the thing is, I mean, I just, you know, um, we've had – during the election, I mean, I've had, you know, Paul Quarterman had contacted me about coming out and doing a meet and greet in the West yeah. End. 
which I welcomed it because the people here need to know that people care because they're not getting a lot of that anymore. So Mr. Quarterman come out. We walked through the West End. We walked through the neighborhoods. He got to talk to a lot of people here, and the people were telling him the same thing. Yes, we do not come outside. We don't like to come outside. We stay in our home because of all the crime, because of all the drugs, because of all the shots fired, you know, and this and that and the other. This is why we don't come out. And then Bernard Sindler come through the neighborhood, did the same thing. He got to see the same thing when he was running for state's attorney's office, and it's because the criminals up here are not held accountable for what they're doing. First thing is plea bargain, plea bargain, plea bargain, PBJ, step docket, you know, and all this stuff gets handed out, and there's no accountability. So the criminals are right back on the street doing the same thing that they were doing before because they know nothing's going to happen. I mean, you got... I've seen, I, I gave uh, Bernard Sendler as well as he helped me out. We were exchanging information back and forth because, I mean, I've had several instances where you've had convicted felons with firearms caught in the commission of a crime with a firearm, and it gets put on a stat docket. Yeah. But you want to go after me for having a handgun on person when I have a permit. This is the kind of stuff that makes no sense that goes on here. And then they wonder why they don't have the citizens backing them. The citizens aren't there when, you know, when the cops show up. They don't want to talk to the police department because they figure the police department is the bad guy. And like I said, I've been trying to tell them it's not the police department because, I mean, if I was an officer, I would be very frustrated because I'm out there putting my life on the line and then to have a state's attorney drop all the charges or plea it down to almost nothing to where the guy gets no jail time, pays a fine, whatever, and he's right back on the street. Yeah. Well, Bill, I want you to keep me informed, and you know, I'm going to come up and visit here soon, and we can get together, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk further. But it means a lot to me that you came on and talked about this, and we're open and honest about this. Your, the incident that took place it's never easy uh you know we yeah. i'm sure you have a hundred different things you could be doing other than dealing with uh the the leftover the leftover uh repercussions of what happened and the the, the circumstances of this but sorry well, this, I mean, is happening. this is something that needs fixed i mean this is definitely something yeah. i mean our system is our system is severely broken yeah it and is. like you said i mean we got we got lawmakers people that are you know, supposed to be our advocates in Annapolis, you know, hopefully one of those guys hear about this and want to reach out. I mean, I'm available for them to contact me anytime. If they happen to get a hold of you, please feel free to give them my phone number. I'd be glad to talk to them because something needs to happen. You know, I've even mentioned to Paul Quarterman that I'd like to be able to speak to Governor Hogan. Because, yeah. you know, this this stuff needs to stop. I mean, this up here in, in, you know, in Western Maryland, things are getting bad. I mean, the drug activity up here is terrible. You know, overdoses that are at an all-time high. Crime is at an all-time high. We have shootings happening all the time. Stabbings happening all the time. Rapes. Child molestation. I mean, it's getting worse. 
nothing's getting better. I mean, I know HPD is working a whole lot of men short. Last time I heard, I think it was roughly 23 officers short. They're working uh, short-staffed. Wow. So one of my biggest questions, and this was during the election, I got to speak with um, Brian Albert, who was running for sheriff of Washington County. He had a decent plan that I really liked because his his plan was if you have a problem area, like, say, the west end of Hagerstown is having a lot of crime, you know, they have a task force or a group between the city police, the county, they come in, saturate that area with officers, take the crime out, and be done with it. And that, 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 to me, it sounds like a good plan, but that's something that the sheriff we have now, Sheriff Mullendore, doesn't do. He doesn't bring his officers into the city because, you know, the city is manned by the city police, the county, the county officers stay in the county. But if you got this much crime happening in the city, the sheriff is an elected official. He should be in there helping his people who, you know, helped elect him. And that's one thing we're not having right now is the sheriff department involvement and in coming in here and helping or the state police involvement coming in here and helping take care of our crime. And we need that. I mean, Hagerstown is getting bad. It's been referenced many times, people calling little Baltimore. Yeah. And I'm in Baltimore a lot. I'm, I live in Hagerstown. I live in the West End. In the past 15 years, Hagerstown has gotten to be like little Baltimore. I mean, it is getting a huge shots fired all the time, you know, police officers running all the time, overdose calls running all the time. I mean, it's a constant thing. Yeah. I know. It's it's a sad situation, but, well, Bill, we'll have to leave it at that. Um, stay in touch. I, and I'm going to, like I said, I, I'm going to come up. I want to visit. I want to see what's going on, and we can have a further conversation, grab a bite to eat. I really appreciate you doing this, and I, I know that this is – not been an easy time for you, but I, I have a feeling things will will be better. If there's anything I can do to help, you know my phone number. Call me anytime, and uh, you know I'm I'm here to help and consider me a friend for life. So, Bill Williams, thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for agreeing to do this and uh, keep in touch. Okay. I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. I will do. All right. Thanks, Bill. Have a great night. All right. Th- Thank Bye-bye. you. You too. Bye. Uh-huh. Uh, Hagerstown NRA instructor Bill Williams on his story with the local police. Interesting, interesting. And I hope it doesn't happen again to anybody else. It's unfortunate. He's a stand-up guy. He's a hardworking guy with and a tough job. I, bail bondsmen's are. That's just a job that uh, it's not easy, and you run into all kinds of people and situations that could be unsafe. And he was out walking his dog and saw something and reacted and thought he was doing the right thing. So I'm, I'm sorry that I, I, you know, I'm sorry that this happened to him. I really am. This, this strikes a chord in me. So I'm hoping that he can get this resolved and at least get some answers. He's owed that. He has owed that And the body camera video. Come on. Seven body cameras, there's no way that that is a plausible excuse. That's that's insulting. So looks like we'll, we'll have to get to the bottom of that. So, friends, thanks for listening. 
My name is Ryan Miner. I'm the host of A Minor Detail Radio Podcast. I am also on the web at aminordetail.com for news and political commentary or all the politics that you could possibly want in the state of Maryland. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you back here on Sunday night at 9 o'clock live. Take care.